What's up everybody? This week we finish our three-part series on video games in the 90s and look at another great product with a bad name. That and a whole lot more is to come because maybe while I do fight like a dairy farmer, you still fight like a cow. Welcome to the show. You know, guys, I'm still a big, big fan of Monkey Island, and I wish I was on the air a couple of weeks ago. I'd have been able to tell you about the uh, deal that Monkey Island was on sale on the Steam Workshop. But, oh, well, never mind. Hey, guys, how you doing? I uh, hope everybody's doing well this week. Uh, this is the Season 3 season finale. Yes, I know, I know. Uh, we were going to go longer, but um, a combination of uh, a serious head injury I suffered and a severe sinus infection that I've been nursing the last couple of weeks and a lot of, lot of personal life issues are going on and I really haven't got the time to focus on the podcast. If you want to know a full detail of what's going on, check out our extra episode 6. That's up on our YouTube page, that's uh, in the feed if you're listening to this, listen to last week's episode, and that's what we've got. So, the next season that we do, we will be back on September 1st. It's a new day and we're going to do some retooling, but that's it for now. You know, we'll go ahead and, and talk more about it later. So... Uh, I wanted to get my opinions on the World Cup out of the way um, before the World Cup is over. By the time you listen to this, the World Cup is over, and either my second team, France, or Croatia, will be walking away with a famous trophy. Uh, I hope France win it. I really do. Um, I've always had a soft spot for the French in football in terms because of uh, the old Arsenal connection. You know, the likes of Henri, Vieira, Petit, Perez, uh, even now to the likes of Giroud. I know he's not everybody's favorite uh favorite hunk of man meat but uh he's he's one of mine and and yeah Juru is is awesome uh i wanted to talk about a couple of things in regards to the world cup real quick um first things first is this whole furor that welsh scottish and irish people should support england or shouldn't support england um while i agree that naturally welsh scottish and irish people should not support England in any way, shape, or form due to the socio-political stuff that's gone on over many, many years and many, many generations, the English should not expect us to support them because we are not English. That's a fair point. However, in my opinion, it does not make you any less of a Welshman, Scotsman, or Irishman to support England. We live in a free society, or we're supposed to live in a free society, and... I should be allowed to support whoever in the damn well I want to. Now, I don't want to support England, but I know, like, the, my grandfather. My grandfather was a great, great guy. He was as Welsh as they come, and he supported England during these tournaments. To say that he was any less Welsh is horseshit. you know? In my opinion, you should be able to support whoever, the, whoever you damn well want to, and you shouldn't have to be told who you can and can't support. So, if you're Welsh and wanted to support England, good for you. If you didn't want to support him, great for you. In my opinion... I didn't want the English to win, not because of any rivalry, but to be honest, I was completely indifferent to them. Um, I'm an Arsenal fan. There was a lot of Spurs and Liverpool players in there. I, I can't support that, you know. Um, but in, in all seriousness, what's um, the best way to say this? I found the whole people put in Sweden and Croatia and the flags in their name to be really childish. I mean, really. you got 35-year-old men, 36-year-old men doing that, and I'm thinking, wow, what a life you must have. So, you know, that's just that's just my opinion on it, and if you don't like it, I really don't care. Uh, <laughs> you can tell that, my, uh, you can tell that my, my, my give a damn is a little bit busted this week, but oh well. Um, so that's really my opinion on the World Cup. Come on, France, and if you don't win, then it's Croatia for everybody. Which would be an achievement in itself, because Croatia wasn't even a country, what, 30 years ago. 
and you know for the english folks it's coming home not the trophy but the team so uh <laughs> so that's what we've got okay guys now that the ones i haven't off uh if you go to facebook twitter tumble look at because maybe pod that's our official social media sites uh, we have a blog because maybe podcast.wordpress.com and if you're on youtube search because maybe podcast to listen to sample episodes and so on and so forth now i'm joined by greg gregory and we take a look at the remaining times of video games in the 90s and we will see you after that cultural impact Alright guys, we are back, and I say we because I'm once again joined by Greg Gregory as we talk about the last stage of video games in the 90s. How you doing, man? Uh, pretty good. Sweet. This week we're going to be talking about basically the evolution of video games in the 90s. Uh, how they went from being simple to more complex, I guess you can say. So, um, we're going to start off by talking about the fifth generation. Now, you know what the fifth generation means, I mean, we all do, right? That means that's the that's the time where the console companies bring out the next console. So PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 3 are two different generations, so to speak. And during a generation, everybody uses kind of the same hardware or similar hardware, you know? So we're going to be talking about the 64, the Saturn, and the PlayStation. And we're not going to be talking about any handhelds because... It wasn't the, a handheld generation. No, handheld was still going strong with like the, um, the Game, Game Boy. Game Boy Color. Yeah, Game Boy Color. Game Boy Advance. Sega Saturn. Not Sega Saturn, excuse me. Sega uh, Game Gear? I think yeah, it was. Game Gear. Yeah. That, that, was a, that was a hog on batteries. It, it was, but it was it was really powerful. And um, I like that it was backlit, full color, you know, full... It was the first full color uh, handheld console. So yeah, it was it was a, a bastard on batteries, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember using a, using a new, fresh set of Dewar cells, product placement, and <laughs> no, sponsor putting, us, sponsor us, throw some money my way, come on. Uh, <laughs> but I remember putting a new pack of Dewar cells in there, and an hour later they were dead. That's yeah. how much a Game Gear was a hog. But um, not just not just talking about the consoles up there, but but PC gaming is starting to take off around about the mid nineties because of the limitations. I mean. We laugh about it now, but Windows 95 and Windows 98 really... Groundbreaking. Yeah, they really set the Powerful, tone. Powerful, yeah. Um, and plus, PCs are becoming cheaper at that point. Yeah, they had finally, um, like many things, they would finally got to the point where it was a consumer-forward product. You were seeing it become more and more affordable. Um, I mean, there had been computers used for lots of things years and years earlier, but... There was one the one of the first supercomputers was twice as big as the room that we're in right now, which is, you know, a, a medium sized recording studio room. Yeah. So yeah, just you definitely were going to see a lot of developers and a lot of platforms, uh, or excuse me, companies take off as the the value of the PC got more consumer friendly. Definitely, I mean, like in the eighties, you buy a computer that was like a thousand bucks with Windows 2 on it, and it's not color or anything like that. Now you got Windows 95, full 16-bit color, you know, high RAM for its time. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't think anybody wants to go back to 56K RAM, <laughs> but yeah, I mean... Yeah, oh, no, no, no. You know, but I mean, like, the the things in Britain especially, I don't know how popular they were over here, but things like the Commodore, Commodore Amiga, uh, the, the Spectrum, the, the Amstrad, so on and so forth, they kind of died when PC, when, like, proper PC Microsoft and Apple started dominating the market. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the earlier computer-based consoles were were extremely limited in a lot of different ways. We talked last week about how there there was a very regurgitated 
competitive yeah. sort of attitude going on with games. And um, even now today, we see that how computer games offer a little bit more flexibility and a little more, especially when you talk about games that you can modify, Definitely. you can add add-ons to. And we even see that now in console games, yeah. which is something that spurned from that. But um, yeah, I mean, that was... It was it was uh it it was it was definitely an emerging market. Um but it just it had a lot more flexibility and the computers could do work way faster and do way oh, yeah. more things. You could play more games on it because really the the game you can play on a computer is only limited by what your, what your computer can do. Definitely. So that gives you a lot more options of styles and, you know, all that stuff. So Well one of the things too, um Looking back, I mean, I know you mentioned game modifications. Developers have gotten smart, and they've launched their own mods, but they're calling them, like, you know, not DLC, because DLC is not necessarily changing the content of the game. It's adding it's content. It's adding content to the yeah. game, but mods are modifying the game. So, like, for example, you and I, as we mentioned many, many times, big fans of Skyrim, uh, the Creation Club. Yeah, I was just fixing to say that. Yeah, there's some... There's some good stuff in there. I'll be honest, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, like, uh, I downloaded the uh, Elemental... Yes. Elemental... Mage thing. Yeah, 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 where it's, like, shock and fire, and then freeze, and and there's someone... There's a couple where you can, like, choke somebody... Sweet. ...from far away. Yeah, that's pretty pretty, pretty interesting. Gives, gives it a different flavor. I'll be honest, I haven't used it yet because I'm still working on my warrior orc, but... Um, gotcha. but, the, but I guess the point I'm making is the developers are now seeing value in game modifications, and they're allowing user-made mods as well as coming up with stuff that they... That, that they maybe wanted to put in the game, but they were constricted by time or... Budgetary. Yeah. Or, or maybe somebody upstairs told them, nah. Yeah, I'll, I'll load and save you Todd Howard. We're not, we're uh, not, we're not spending an extra tw- uh, 20 Gs on a giant uh, Draugr. <laughs> no, we leave like, modders to take care of that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and leave it to modders to have the only unofficial, correct unofficial patch, patching yes. up all the glitches. Yeah, leave it to them. But, uh, yeah, if, if you play Skyrim, I'll t- tell you what, I'll do an extra episode dedicated to Skyrim in the next couple of weeks. Cool. That'll, that'll be awesome. But um, with PC gaming rising, casual gaming started to take off. Now, you could argue that originally the original, like, NES and the Genesis and stuff was casual games to begin with. But, like, we're talking things like, you know, Club Pogo and little online little, you know, you play a game, you get you get some bingo points, and then you spend them on... More bingo points, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Well, also, uh, this was a time when newly released computer operating systems had games on them already. Yeah. Like, decent games. Um, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many mines I've sw- swept in my day. Uh, Solitaire. There was also a pinball game that came on. Yes. I remember that. That was super-duper fun. Now, yeah. for the people listening, hands up if you if, if you know how to play Minesweeper. Yeah. Keep your hands up if you actually know how to make my Minesweeper right. and not just randomly press the things because you think you got it. I could never get the hang of Minesweeper. Minesweeper, yeah. I think I understood it, but then when I clicked something, it'd blow up. So That's yeah. part of the challenge, man. But um, we moved from casual to more adult games because here's the thing. As PC gaming started to, started to expand, adult-themed games started coming through because, remember, the first serious generation of video gamers are now adults at this point. You know, the guys yeah. who played Mario when it first came out are uh, in their early 20s. So, you know, how do you keep them involved? Well, the only thing you can do is is make the games more adult. Grand Theft Auto was released around you, this time. You grow with your audience. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, you, yeah. And, and that's interesting, too, because when I was a kid, uh, video games were 
a you know adolescent dominated demographic it is a child's plaything and now i mean there's there's grown men that make a good living commentating yeah. playing uh doing in competitions for games so i mean yeah you, that was a smart move to to move up along with the demographic because now I don't know. I mean, they realize that people that are, you know, in their 30s and late 20s probably have more money than a kid that's eight. Exactly. And the thing so. is, as well, you know, we all played Mario. We all, you know, thrown a little fireball. Oh, so cute. And then all of a sudden you, you become Cinder on Killer Instinct and you incinerate the guy. You know, yeah. it's, 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 I mean, they're becoming more hyper violent. They were starting to bring in more genres too. Like Resident Evil is credited as being the first horror video game. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but, I mean, that's what they, they've marketed it as. And then you've got things like, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Lara Croft, you know, with the shorty shorts and the increased bus size, you know, to get the horny adolescent teens in there. You know, it's just they, they became more suggestive, uh, not suggest, suggestive, excuse me, and they were they were aiming for, for an older audience. The downside of that was, is like everything in the 90s, the developers grew up but they didn't kind of keep the younger audiences that would replenish them engaged. Right. I mean, okay, I know I spoke a couple of weeks ago about pro wrestling, right? That I spent three episodes talking about it. But one of the things that, that, that both the wrestling companies had was they'd have scantily clad women, you know, calling each other skanks and hoes and getting their knocks out and, you know, wearing bikinis to the ring. But the same 7 to 12-year-olds were still watching every week as they were five years before that and the video game industry was kind of similar to that you know they were they were putting out these hardcore hyper violent adult themed games and more children's games for lack of a better term were left in the dust I yeah mean, well it was a demographic shift and um another thing you have to realize at this point in time there was no such thing as the esrb no there was no such thing as a video game rating what we're seeing here and uh, uh what we're going to talk about in the next couple minutes are direct um, effects of these types of video games becoming prevalent in our society. That there was, um, you know, a group of people that decided that it was fair at least to warn people if they were going to see suggestive content. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine with that myself as a as a father. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think my seven year old needs to play um, Manhunt on no. PS3. You know, or where he's hunting hunting down people like a dog. You know, but. That in its way is, um, it gives it gives people the opportunity to know what they're getting into, and also for parents, yeah, which which therein really gives them more freedom because it keeps you from seeing something you don't want to see. Exactly, and now a lot, a lot of parents see the thing is the difference between video games and, and movies, I guess, right now, and we'll we'll go into it a little bit deeper. But how many times have you seen like a a, a, a ten to thirteen year old wanting the latest Call of Duty, uh, Grand Theft Auto? And the parents just happily going along with it. But yet, if they wanted to get a movie that was rated R, they'd be slapped out of the store. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think the parents who weren't raised on video games don't understand why those ratings are there. Yeah. Because they seem to think, well, it's just uh, animation and it can't be that bad. And then you've got, like, you know, one of the one of the things in uh, Grand Theft Auto was, I'll stick a gun so far up so I'll shoot your eyeballs out. You know, it was a literal quote from the first mobster that you met i know i remember i remember clearly at one point in my life um when uh me and my stepdad at the time were really into like uh jean-claude van damme so we were like watching like universal soldier blood sport i think it was one of the kickboxers we went to go watch it and um my mom had always watched wanted to watch stuff before i watched it you know like a good parent yeah. 
and she's like, um, yeah, um, I really don't want him to watch that movie because there's boobs in it. And I was like, oh, okay. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go play video games and blow up and kill people. She's like, okay, no yeah, problem. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So, I mean, so I can't see female anatomy that, you know, a, as a man, as a hetero man, I'm going to be seeing one day anyway. At, yeah. I can't get that framed in the proper context. But I can sit in a room by myself and watch horrific images of crazy stuff happening and oh, yeah, perfectly fine oh, that's perfectly fine the, the, the world it's has, interesting the world has a very very different relationship with violence and sex even though one is peaceful the other is not peaceful well they're both human nature they're both human nature but i mean if you but if you really the biggest argument from that is if you want to see violence just turn on the news yeah i mean it's everywhere i mean it doesn't have to be entertainment pedals. i mean we're as a world where there's always going to be fighting, conflict, uh, skirmishes, wars of some type. I mean, it's just it, it's we are we are combative is. in nature. That's just who we are. You know. I guess that's one thing the '80s did get right is because whenever you had like an R-rated movie that could have some kiddie elements, they marketed the toys to the kids, and they also made like a cartoon. You know, you had RoboCop, Ghostbusters. Yeah, you saw a lot of that actually, and that yeah. died in the nineties. I mean, I can't remember the Independence Day cartoon. <laughs> with yeah. the action figures and you know yeah that's that's interesting they were definitely trying to do like uh like a three-tier marketing thing yeah. where they were getting getting the adults with, with the movie and the kids then with the, 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 the kids with all the aftermarket stuff yeah so ninja turtles were really really bad about yeah. that dear lord <laughs> i think I, I don't know who's doing it now i think it's uh, my little pony that's doing it shout out to all the bronies listening right. go get a job <laughs> um <laughs> sorry <laughs> I remember live and let live. That's that's the motto on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, Darwin, one of the things that it wasn't just hyperviolent games though that got more and more into it. Uh, I'm a sports fan. You're a sports fan. Um, the simulation games got so good in the mid '90s. Not as good as they are now. Right? I'm not. I'm not going to say that they were better in the '90s. Sure, but they like they were. They definitely took a giant leap forward. If you look at some of the earlier games for like the Commodore and yeah. the Amiga. Uh, the, the different Atari consoles, what is the 8500 and the, yeah. I, I don't, I, I have to channel my inner video game nerd to remember all that, but it was just, it was just so, it, it, it took big strides because they made a lot of advances in like mapping and like dimension and stuff like that. And you start to start to see, um, you know, instead of four or five colors you in one level, you start to see the whole spectrum that should gave it more depth, it gave it more, you know. As as a fan of the of the game top two and a fan of realism in, in games, um, I like the fact that now, say, I played uh, I was playing FIFA as Wales, and instead of having David Llewellyn and you know and and Barry Smith, I was actually getting the real Ryan Giggs, John Hartz, and Gary Speed, and so on and so forth. And because the sports developers they realized, got on, they got on board with the teams they, they joined up with them exactly they realized they'd make more money if they went to i'm using soccer or nfl they'd go to fifa or the nfl or major league baseball and sign licenses directly with the companies as opposed to nintendo sega and uh, at the time sony right so they were able to pull that and to make the games even better i mean they were starting to add play-by-play now in the early days, the play-by-play wasn't that great. It, yeah, it wasn't very intuitive. I mean, I, I remember playing, um, and we've talked about this title before, uh, uh, John Madden Sports Talk Football. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had maybe like 20 things he said over and over again. Uh, like, if you did anything out of the norm, like, okay, per example here. Last drive of the game, I got the ball. Um, it's one of those John Elway, the drive type drives where 
I've got the ball, no timeouts, a minute or so left. Got you have to put a score on the board. Hail Mary to, time. To, yeah. Well, you have you have time. So yeah. a combination of pass and run will get you there. So I I'm close close to the end zone, maybe like eight or nine yard line, and it's like fourth and one. Okay. And any NFL scenario as this, you go for it. A yeah. field goal doesn't help you. If you turn it over, well, a field goal won't help you anyway. You turn it over, you turn it over trying, right? Yeah. So I went out there to go for it, and um, the uh, John Madden, and they're going for it. I can't believe it. It's like <laughs> that is a practical application of that play. I mean, c- come on, dude. Like if it were fourth and 19 and I was down by 35 like in the first quarter, yeah. Yeah, but, but it's, it's like you're right there. This is it. This, I mean, it, it was it, very sterile. It, it was well, but it was good. It was a good thing. It, um, it, it added some depth to it. But yeah, it wasn't very intuitive. Back in back in FIFA '97 days, they had um, English legendary commentator John Motson recording, and um, they kind of didn't get him to record all the phrases in the correct tone. And so it was like, and there's David Beckham on the halfway line, dribbling to the area now. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell there's some uh, some splicing but, uh, going on there. I think the sports games became more popular when they added the realistic rosters, definitely. that To me, yeah, I that, think that was a big thing because, um, man, I, you, you can play as Bo Jackson and Tech, right. Tech Mobile, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's hilarious to me, too, that football games were once side address. Yeah. That's I just I know that's how we watch it, but for the most part, you've got to play landscape feed. Dude, I have to now, and they they introduced a new thing in Madden where they like flip the defense, so where you're like, no, normally you're always looking at the closest to the screen. Well, well, the the quarterback's butt is always pointed at you. Yeah. So on defense, you're used to that orientation of you're in the fore, in the background facing the foreground. Yeah. When they flip it the other way, to me, my muscle memory just goes. Because when I'm flipped that way, I'm playing offense. You're great playing defense. But yeah, uh, I mean this was this was the golden era for sports games. Um, also, another thing I don't think it's on this list. Um, they started doing college games. Yes. And there was a huge uh, issue with that a few years down the road. And a couple years ago, they stopped making the NCAA titles because of licensing rights, uh, image yeah. rights. And I think I'd, I've never understood the idea that NCAA players couldn't. Make money off their image and sponsorship. I've I've never understood that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, think about it this way: if if they were allowed to make money directly off of their likeness while they were a um, college athlete, then they wouldn't technically be a college athlete; they'd be a professional athlete. True. On the one that, hand. that's so. I I've actually made suggestions for this before. I think what they should do is if they do like some kind of licensing deal, like okay, you have you have money that goes directly to the program. Yes. Like people buy tickets and granted they buy tickets to go see these players, but individually you can't really quantify that. No. You can be like, okay, man, uh, that'd be one who you're to see. Oh, okay. Uh, Jeff Jackson. Okay. Well, you, yeah. you wouldn't do that. So how about you, you give them all the residuals from the licensing off of their likeness. So say they're in NCAA football, they've got jerseys, they've got blah, blah, blah. Take all that residual money and stick it into a uh, fund that can only be accessed once they are no longer yeah. in college. And then once they accept that money, they can they are no longer eligible to be a college athlete. That's that's a gr- that's actually a great idea. I think that's what they should do because that because the uh, NCAA is not hurting for money. Oh no. 
they, you know, they were making a killing off those games. So if they could bring those games back and and license everybody, I think everybody would win in the long run. Definitely. What do I know? (laughs) Uh, No, but that's actually a great idea. Um, We're gonna move to. I want to move to N64, and the note I wrote here was Nintendo make a series of great games, but they're overshadowed. Oh, man. Overshadowed by what, though? Uh, they're overshadowed by, um, and we'll get to what they're overshadowed by, it, Sony. Because Sony blew everything out the water in this in this era. It, they, it they completely did. did. Uh, the CD, oh, excuse me, the CD capability, I think, is what really sold me. Yeah, I think it sold a lot of Cause us. It showed, well, it showed that they were embracing new technology. Because CDs were very prevalent at that time, yes. But you really only saw them as data storage, oh, audio, or um, I, I mean, you saw some computer programs, yeah, that that surfaced on the CD. But a CD-ROM was like a luxury item on a computer at that time. It, it was definitely it wasn't standard. It was definitely the replacement, a combination replacement of the cassette tape and the floppy disk. It's kind of like now when you go to buy a car, like for the most part, a late model car, power windows. And CD player is standard. I remember in a time in the early 90s when you could buy a truck that had manual windows and a tape deck. Yeah. And, and get 5000 off for it. Do, you know? do you know how many, like, personal uh, CDs I saw drivers in the UK, like, you know, walking in with the, little, with the uh, CD player from the radio oh, yeah. in their back pocket? I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. But um, we'll get to Sony here in a minute. Nintendo made GoldenEye, Mario Kart 64, Pokemon Stadium, Donkey Kong 64, and WWF No Mercy. In my opinion, those are the big five. That have always been, when you think of the Nintendo 64, those are the games that people talk about. Uh, they were all great games. I mean, they were all ahead of their time. Um, I would say Mario 64, too. Yeah, Mario 64 was was really, really good. I never played Pokemon Stadium, so I'm not really too sure on that one. But in the, all in all, it's a pretty, good, pretty, pretty strong list. Pokemon Stadium was, I guess, the equivalent of um, Street Fighter with Pokemon. Oh, so, uh, so Super of, Smash Brothers kind of? Yeah, so instead like of saying Pikachu use electricity, it's super effective, you actually controlled Pikachu in the battle and shot fireballs, uh, not fireballs, okay. electric bolts at him. Oh, that's cool. But it was matched up the same way as the, the colored game in the series and so on and so forth. That sounds um, cool. But the, all these great games, Goldeneye is still talked about as one of the greatest first-person shooters of all time. Oh, I, I'd stand by that to don't this go, day. Don't go our job, though. Never go our job. Oh, man, why not? Because you you lose more friends than Monopoly. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he's 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 hard to hit. He's got a bigger head, but he's a lot shorter. Mario Kart 64, I still play to this day. That's a great game. It's a great game. Uh, WWF No Mercy is widely considered among the wrestling community as the greatest wrestling game of all time. And Donkey Kong 64, in my opinion, cleaned up the mess of Donkey Kong 2 and Donkey Kong 3 from the NES. I liked, uh, was it, what was the one after that? Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong or something yeah. like that? that? That one was a lot of fun. I think I played some of, the, some of that other one. And then it did something that Nintendo always does. It brings something innovative into the system. The Rumble Pack. Yeah. They they were the first uh, video game carrier to... Add haptic sensory to their games, yeah. I mean, every, you know, everything now has a rumble, you know, and it's not that unique, but back then it was really, really unique. No, that was groundbreaking, yeah. And I mean, Sony counted with that, which we'll get to here in a second, but I mean, it also doubled as the save pack, too. So that the cartridges didn't have to have space for saved games anymore. They could be focused more on the content and the graphics, and that's why the 64 was able to use cartridges like they did at that time, as opposed to, say, when they went to that little GameCube CD, which is about the size of, like, Uh, a a coaster. A peach. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, 
the 64 is underrated. And if Sony hadn't come out with the PlayStation when it did, I think it would have blown everything out of the water. But as it, as it had to compete with Sony, it just felt a little semi passe yeah it's like oh look a cartridge thing it was like oh how adorable look at this hey look at this cd and look at this you know black you know display with the it's perfectly symmetrical very sharp looking very futuristic looking shame sega didn't learn that lesson because the sega satin (laughs) sucked yeah that was that was I don't know. I played a couple of good games on it. Overall, I thought the controller was kind of cumbersome. Yes. It had like this sort of like aimer, like glass thing in the middle. Yeah. And I get what they were trying to do with it. And I think that um, Sony borrowed a little bit of that with the PS4, with the touchpad they have now. Yeah. But um, overall, I felt it was kind of clunky. And uh, since it was one of the flagship um, CD systems... It was very slow to load. Yeah. Had, it was full of glitches. and. I think after the success of the Genesis, Sega kind of, they didn't realize, like, yep, yeah, I'll work like, here. Yep. Mm. Oh, you mean Sony are coming in? Oh, crap, we got we to gotta do something. Get it out, get it out. And yeah, then yeah. when they got it out there, they realized they were done. You know, I mean, the games were expensive. They were okay in terms of quality, but I mean... When when it's the flagship system, your flagship games, your flagship everything, Nintendo has not made a bad Mario game. And what I mean by that is in the Mario series, I'm not talking about like, you know, Mario Kart, Mario Paint, Mario Tennis, Mario Wallpaper, whatever. Like in the in the Mario series, every Mario game has got a good plot, you know, from just jumping over a platform to save the princess to, you know, finding out Bowser has a son. They all had good plots, and when they were launched, they were made sure that they were at the forefront. The Sonic game wasn't very good for the, for, for the Saturn. You know, it, it wasn't. And it just, I don't know. They went back to the drawing board, but that, I think, is what led to the downfall. They, I, and after playing some of the, um, the offerings in the late 90s, early 2000s of Sonic, yeah, I, it's like they were... Their heart was in the right place, but they just couldn't really... They didn't have the means to make it work the way they wanted to, like uh, the fully 3D games and stuff like that. um, There's just so many um, clipping issues and just... uh, Oh, the other thing, too, uh, the dynamic camera. We have them now in most games. um, Like, say, for instance, on Skyrim, it's your right stick, just for reference, because that's... You, it helps it helps you turn and look each direction. For for that, when they when they were having to deal with the camera readjusting, it was a huge pain in the butt because yeah. it never went it never went where you thought it was gonna go. Because like if your body starts turning left, it would like turn around and point at you. It just it just and then you were like tra- you were still pressing up because you're trying to go forward, and then you would walk backwards because your perspective changed. They were it's try- just a nightmare. They were trying to program the next generation of technology on the generation they had, and it just didn't work. Yeah, I um, and you know Sega tried really hard to stay stay relevant after the Genesis by um, uh, Sega CD, and they had a um, they had like some type of add on thing that went in the console. With, yeah, like the thirty two bit. Yeah, doubled yeah. the the bit of it. Yeah, they tried really really hard, but the console just got bulky. And I, I've heard my, my brother had two Sega CD systems. And he said they weren't very reliable. If you drop it or if it gets something falls on it, I mean it's over. You know. 
Well, we've 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 danced around the bush, but uh, Sony are king at this point. Um, they are making high quality games because the um, the amount of data they can put in the CD-ROM for a start, yeah, the processing speed that they have in their machine, the fact that they had super fast laser technology reading the CD. I mean, nowadays you've got to install games because they're so big, but I mean at the time, you know, there wasn't any internal hard drive. Live action cutscenes. Yep. I mean, that's something we were all crying out for. Nowadays, I mean, you'll see commercials with not actual gameplay on on the thing, and they'll show, like, you know, what the game could be. And that's what Sony was kind of doing at the time. Yeah. You know? Um, the DualShock controller. Stole the idea from Nintendo in a way. Stole, stole. Well, they they took the, the haptic idea, and they put it in something a little more... Uh, usable, user friendly. It didn't add any bulkiness or weight or no. anything to the to the unit. I mean, it didn't negatively affect the experience at all. It added haptic sensory to it, which uh, you know, in certain games, it it'll creep you out. Yeah. Or g- give you a thrill. You know. I remember playing uh, Tekken the first time, and the first time I got hit, that thing like almost yep. fell out of my hand because I wasn't used to it. Exactly. And like uh, Gran Turismo taking those corners if it start, you know, yep. and, and that's like, how, ooh. that's what would happen in real life. Yeah. And I mean the memory card, look, I know it sounds weird right now, but the memory card was almost as iconic as the, as the, the, the Sony itself. Oh it, yeah. If you were a, a mid nineties, late nineties kid, your PlayStation memory card was of one of your most valuable possessions. You, you, I, you are the one of two people. You had five memory cards with 15 slots each. Or you bought one of those, like 32 megabyte cards that had like a thousand slots that would crash after two weeks. <laughs> oh. I had five memory cards. Yeah, uh, I, I wish there was a way you could have backed them up back then. And you know what? One thing I hated, there was a game called Premier Manager, which was a football management game. It took all 15 slots on the memory card. Jeez. Yeah. So good luck playing anything else. Maybe they just, don't, they just want to dominate your memory card. They don't want you to play anything else. It's a marketing strategy. Definitely. But, I mean, at the time, Sony had better graphics. They had better games. They had better, they, they, they were better. Better, better, better. And, ironically, they won the console war of the mid-'90s without even taking part. Yeah, they... Um, well, I think, I think that they knew what other companies could do, and they knew what video games could do, but they sort of ignored that and did their own thing. Yeah. Which, you know, which is the formula for Nintendo in the beginning. They weren't paying attention to what Atari and Commodore and all these other people were doing. They are like, no, dude, we're Nintendo. We're going to find something innovative to do and put our, you know, make make our mark. And I think Sony's collaboration with Nintendo kind of gave Sony an insight as to, to what the video game industry was and because you had they had a little taste and they knew what Nintendo was capable of and how they could move forward. So by blowing them out of the water with a machine that was twice as powerful and, and you know, everything that we've mentioned, I mean, Sony PlayStation 1 is one of the greatest consoles of all time and it's definitely one of the most innovative consoles of all time. Yeah, it was a, it was a stepping stone into the, into the generation we have now because now we're at the, the fourth version of the, the PlayStation yep. and the fifth is... Uh, yeah, I've heard it might be even sooner than that. It could be as early as next summer. There you so, go. Um, great, great, i got to buy a new machine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's actually good for me because then I can uh, I can uh, take my PlayStation 4 up to the office. There you go. Play it during lunch. That's <laughs> right. Um, but as this time goes on, gaming is becoming more and more main- mainstream. As we mentioned earlier, you know, uh, adult, adult gaming is becoming more socially acceptable because more and more adults are playing games. You know, um... In pop culture, it shows adults playing games in movies and TVs and videos. Now, before they wouldn't do that, they'd just have kids playing. But, like, um, 
is it Moritz or Chasing Amy? Where Jason Lee's character is playing NHL hockey on Sega Genesis. I can't remember. It's, it's, one, one, of it's, one, it's one of them. And that was the fir- that, I think that was the first time you ever saw an adult playing a video game competently. Because, you know, you'd see in the movies the adult pick up the video game and not know what he's doing and ha 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 look at the, look at the technophobe. And uh, then- in The Wizard, actually, uh, when they're traveling, the dad, uh, the there's the younger kid who's like the protagonist and there's the older kid who's his brother. Yeah. They're brothers. He comes in from somewhere and his dad is like playing Nintendo and he's supposed to be playing Legend of Zelda. And he, they gave him some some ridiculous line that made him sound like he knew what he was talking about. He's like, he's like, oh, hang on, buddy, I just gotta get these wizards at level four real quick, and then I'll be done. And he's like, he's like, moving all <laughs> around, like his movements control the controller. Yeah, I, I remember watching adults play video games when I was a kid. To be fair, if he, did, if he didn't turn the control pad in the direction which you wanted to go, right. were you really playing the game? Uh- <laughs> no, I had, I, no, I had a. I remember I was about six or seven. I had this babysitter. I have to back up for this demonstration. As babysitter, she like hold her controller out, like yeah. away from her body, and I'm like, okay, that looks really awkward. And then when when she played Mario and she would jump, she would literally Wee. like <laughs> jump up with it and like pull the controller and her body. And it was like it was like, man, you can, you you're that was like the inspiration for the uh, the Wii, the probably. Wii probably. Yeah, <laughs> they, they must have had a spy camera up in there 30 years ago. And. One thing about the 90s, too, was not just video game culture, but nerd culture in general, stuff that, you know, the hobby culture was becoming more and more acceptable, and gaming was considered a sincere hobby. I mean, then you had specific video game stores coming out. Uh, it became it became uh, specialized in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. As, as it became more commercially viable, absolutely. And then, obviously, the human characters in the video games started to become sex symbols. Um, you had Lara Croft. You had uh, the the... Woman, I can't remember her name in Resident Evil. Oh, um, uh, tip, yeah. of my, tip of my tongue, Sarah. Sarah, I think so. She was played by Mila Jovovich. Mila Jehovah. Jojovich. Yeah, I, I can never. I always stutter when I say that name. Yeah, she's yeah. The mm. worst part about that was that 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 led to the fur, furries. Again, live and let live, everybody. I, I just I just don't understand it. Does uh, it? Oh, look, there's a sexy tails. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you did see that too. Like even in um, uh, titles slightly before that, like Street Fighter Two, Chun Li. Yeah, yeah, Chun Li with her, you know, Orchid from Killer Instinct. Yeah, with her meat pillows proudly on display. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it's interesting too because. Uh, if they sexualized men the way that they sexualize women in games, like Guile would be in like uh, a G-string thong, you know, and nothing else. Well, Zangief was all muscle in a, in, a, in a thong, wasn't he? Yeah, he had like he had like a pair of speedos on and some boots. But he Russian wrestler. He's supposed to look like that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, because of this more and more mainstream, it did have a lot of impact on society. I guess I guess you can say, um, you know. I don't want to say it was the death of outside playing, but I mean, in the mid '90s, you saw like cul-de-sacs in the suburbs, and there was kids riding bikes and everything. I drove by a cul-de-sac after school a couple of weeks ago, and there was not a single kid, bike, or anything, you know. And I don't want to say it was video games, but kids are starting to lock themselves in their room, and you know. <sighs> but but in a way, though, they did bring people together. They did. And and, and you know. I don't know. I'd hate to scapegoat technology no. necessarily because I think there's plenty of people that shut themselves in without it, with books, with food, yep. with movies. It's the misuse of technology. Well, it's 
it just goes down to what kind of person you are. True. I mean, it's like the people that want to blame other people's what they do because of what they other, listen to. other things that, uh, well, I'm going to say it very generically, but like very other factors yeah. in their life. Well, they don't, those things don't necessarily make them do anything. This no. was a conscious decision all around. So I think it just goes back to what kind of person you are. Cause look, I knew, I knew a kid that sat in his room and read all day. That's what he wanted to do. It, he didn't need technology to do that. No, that's true. So, and I mean, I mean, it, I mean, I've got it written down here. You know, hyperviolent games are starting to blame for you know problems in society, just like rap was blamed, just like this was blamed and that was blamed, and it's 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 a societal issue rather than a specific thing issue, so to speak. You know, because I mean, it's easy to scapegoat something when you don't want to look at a real solution. Yeah, and and the easiest thing to do is well, it must be those video games. We need to slap. ESRB ratings on them. Yeah, you know, um, it's. And I'm, I'm not really, uh, and I'm like I said, I'm not really against that. I mean, no. it could have been way more of an overreaction, but at the same time, I mean, we rate our movie entertainment the same way. Why yeah. not the video games? Because in video games, if anything, you have volition. When yeah, you watch true. a movie; it's already predetermined. It's already done. It's already done. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the, the games themselves. I mean, they now went from like you know twenty to forty bucks to like sixty to a hundred bucks per game. Then sequels, then add-ons. Yeah, DLCs, special editions, legendary edition. I'm looking at you, Bethesda. Alexa edition. I bought all of them. Me too. Um, <laughs> but this is this is the good thing that developers kind of saw. They realized that uh, that younger kids weren't playing their games anymore, so they started to go back to the games that you know they used to make. Yeah. Uh, around about that time, Crash Bandicoot came out. Uh, the Oddworld series, which to this day is one of my favorite video game series of all time. Earthworm Jim. Earthworm Jim. Yeah, it was kind of a Mar- it was a Mario for adults. Pretty much. You know, uh, like a fart gun and you know <laughs> They had uh, they redid Monkey Island, which I still think is the greatest game ever. Uh well one of the greatest game series ever. I mean, you know, they they did it. And then you had online gaming just in its infancy, but it was like not you the had P2P P2P yeah. at the time or or LAN. LAN. And it brought people yeah. together, like you like you said. And I mean, even the multi tap brought people together because at the time, you know, it was player one, player two, and then your rest of your friends had to sit and watch T V. Now you four of you could play. Tech and tag and oh. with four people where we set it up um two teams, like one and two, three yeah. and four. Uh, uh there's they they actually I don't know if you've ever seen this they have tag throws, really, yeah. But you and your partner have to do it at the same time. Yeah, but it's so cool. Like it's devastating too. It's like forty percent health every time. <sighs> yeah, I mean it's bad. Yeah. And I remember I remember like we started playing FIFA tournaments uh, during our off time in college, and you know with the multi tap out, and it was you know me and someone else, someone else and someone else. We do like we'd make a bracket and make a tournament. Oh know? yeah, yeah. Winner gets free drinks for the week. Because remember, kids, you can drink at eighteen in the UK. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, it, you can drink in eighteen in America. It's just not legal. Yeah, actually, I think the law is you can drink when you're eighteen. You can't buy. Like if you're at home, that I believe that is the law. You can drink alcohol if you're eighteen. You just can't buy it or drink it in public. I can buy a video game where I can rip a guy's head off, shoot his brains out, and, and roast his testicles on a car. But I have to be over eighteen years old. But if I serve my country uh, at eighteen and fight a war, I can't buy a drink. Yeah. Weird. That, that's crazy. Weird. I've always found that weird. But um, video games started becoming full productions. Like the you know oh, yeah. ins- instead of just stupid MIDI files on I, Casio keyboard. Yeah. You know it was it was full on. You had voice like a acting. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I have the Skyrim soundtrack. I have Lord of the Rings soundtracks. I have a lot of video game soundtracks because I, I genuinely like the music. I'm not a classical music fan in the sense of Beethoven and stuff like that, but I do like modern pieces in a classical style. Well, and that's that's the other thing, too, is that it's tapping into another element of entertainment, you know, because music is a highly sensory experience. Yes. I mean, you can... I don't know about y'all, but I mean, I can I can remember songs that I sang in third grade, you know, it clears a bell. Like there's there's stuff from my you know uh, graduate degree that I don't remember <laughs> at all. <laughs> so yeah, it's power. It's a really powerful thing, and that that is also um, that's also a page out of a political um, playbook, in a way, using yeah. music as a tool to to give recognition um also uh like tv theme songs too yes they would get stuck in people's heads and other people hear them sing it and were reminded of them so yeah you saw subliminal yeah in a way but i I think also the the music adds to the mood of what they're trying to do um one of my favorite walkthrough guys on youtube that does skyrim walkthroughs major slack uh he does not he turns the music off and I'd never really noticed it before because he's usually commentating over everything and there's all the yeah. weapons and armor pounding together. But he said, yeah, I have the music disabled because I just personally think it's very distracting. And it can be distracting. And I understand that completely. But for me, like when I when I walk into Blackreach and I hear that battle music come up, it makes my hair stand on end because I know that I, I'm about to get pummeled by a, a couple dwarven centurions and a bunch of you know Falmer you know overlords or whatever the the top guys are you know the betrayed but it's one of those it's one of those um preference things again but this yeah. is this is when we saw it actually become fu- like a full you audio had, production you had and not just that you had options too i mean you mentioned like you know you could be like first person or third person in older games, it was one or the other. Now you can play both. You had, you know, different branches of, you know, they went from being linear to choose your own adventure, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, you know, open world took major advantage of this. Some of the some of the voice acting now is considered iconic. You know, I mean, I know we keep going back to Skyrim, the Elder Scrolls series, but Wes Johnson, who is uh, the voice of Shea Gorath, mm. and for all you Fallout fans, he's the voice of Forks in Fallout Three. Just that iconic, you know, for Br- for British listeners, it's, he, he kind of reminds me of Brian Blessed. You, you, you'll get that reference. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so going back into developers for just a moment. Uh, now, the biggest thing in PCs, in personal computers, in modern times is Apple v. Microsoft. Did you know that Apple developed their own video game system in the 90s? Did not. Neither did a lot of other people. Um, they joined together with Bandai, and I think Bandai used to do the, the old handheld, like you know, three to a, three, three to a packet. They still do. Bucks. They still do games as yeah. well. They're a gaming uh, production company. It was going to be the first console that was going to be able to be used on both Apple computers and as an actual standalone device. Um, now, Steve Jobs re- coming back to Apple kind of put the kibosh on the project because it would have technically been a hackintosh or you know, a, 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 an Apple clone, and he ended the cloning project. Um, the pro- and also Apple didn't want to spend anything in marketing this thing and Bandai spent like a hundred million trying to market this system um, the system was terrible the games were awful they were a little bit more highbrow and considering the fact they were priced at 600 bucks which was expensive even for video games uh, only f- like less than 50,000 of these things were sold in three years which you know whew. I guess it kind of led the way to something like the Mac Mini or the Apple TV because it was designed to be an entertainment system rather than just a video game system, but it was starting with the video games. But 
one of the many, many things that Apple did not do right in the 90s. Definitely not do right. And what did Microsoft do? Well, they wanted to bring their own system into the market using a similar idea as to what Apple had, which is you can use the game on PCs or on this dedicated console. And they decided to build off demand, not ideology, which Nintendo and Sega and uh, even Sony at this point was sticking to their ideals. And they decided to use traditional PC components rather than build their own, you know, proprietary software. Hence the blue screen of death. Yes. Oh, the red ring of death. Or the red ring. Well, I've had the blue screen of death on an Xbox before, too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. That's... Yeah. Um, uh, I, I lived in a house with a lot of smokers. Maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. And, well, you mentioned they developed the Xbox. Uh, that won't be released until the 2000s, so we're not going to talk too much about it. But, I mean, that was also... It was it was in process at this point. It was Yeah, it was definitely in process. And you knew that Sony had an eye on it. Because Sony were, 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 were going, yeah, we're trying to go for market domination. And now they're like the Pepsi and Coke of gaming consoles. It's one or the other, you know. Unless you're a Nintendo fan, then you like RC Cola. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Sega, to be fair, after the flop that was the Saturn, they decided, you know what, we're going to come out with this, this machine and we're going to blow everybody out of the water. And they did. The Dreamcast. Um, widely considered one of the best video game systems of all time. Uh, the one of the first to successfully offer stable online connections for games for a console, <coughs> and it was a 128-bit machine. I mean, this should have been the comeback, and right. for some reason, it just didn't connect with the audience as well as it should have. I mean, it, it, some of the things that it had, it was the first to have like a dedicated hard drive. It was the first to have online capabilities. It was the first to offer multi ways to connect to your television. Um, it that's, was the first to offer. First off, internet capabilities for, and not just for gaming, but I mean, you know, browsing. Yeah, and now those are standard when you look at like the Xbox One, the PS4, or whatever. So that was that was breakthrough. Breakthrough, but it was ahead of its time, I think. It it, it probably would have been better if um internet the internet internet connections had been faster. Yeah, because that's the problem is you can be as stable as you want on your end with the hardware. But if if the me, the mediation in the middle is not there, it doesn't matter. Fifty eight k dollar trying to play Crazy Taxi, you know. No, like yeah. one frame every ten seconds. <laughs> now, unfortunately for Sega, they predicted that the, the originally they predicted that the Dreamcast was going to have a very short shelf life, so that they could develop the next generation of machine, because they knew that Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo were going to come up with something even better in the meantime. So they were going to have to, yeah, keep keep the intensity up. Yeah, and they were. Almost right. They were right that the Dreamcast had that short shelf life, but the reason was is because after the Dreamcast, they discontinued the whole console range and now just started becoming a video game developer. And, you know, uh, they, they still... It's The weirdest thing for me is playing Sonic on a Nintendo. Which yeah. is the only way you can play Sonic now. Oh, no. I, um, Sony, too. Yeah. They've, they've sold rights to Sony as well. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got Sonic 1, 2, and 3 on my PS3. I mean, it's it's just it, it again. It's weird to some somebody like us because you know Sega was his own thing. But I mean, the Dreamcast, man, what it, what it could have been. And you know that as soon as the PlayStation Three came out and the Wii came out and the uh, X, uh, Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty came out, 
all of those features that were that were standard in the Sega were finally standard across the board. Because yes, the Xbox could connect online. Yes, the Sony, the PlayStation Two could connect online, but that was like the second or third version of it. And you needed it wasn't um, st- it wasn't standard. It was an add-on, so yeah. you had to additionally purchase. Yeah. So, so you know, th- and and it's it's weird to think that. But um, at this point, the two biggest companies in video games are Nintendo and Sony, and they go completely and utterly in different directions. I mean, you had the PlayStation 2 that was in development became the first, ironically, true entertainment system. I mean, you could, you know, games now come on DVDs. So, yes, you have online capabilities. You had to buy an add-on, but you still had them. Um, It was backwards compatible without having to buy any extra hardware, which I think was the first of its kind. And I don't understand why that's not standard now. I, I mean, in my PS4, I should be able to play any PlayStation game. Well, you can download it. No, 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 not everybody's online. Some well, people... and not only that, but I've already bought it. Exactly. I already own it. I just want to be able to stick it in my console and use it. Thank you, emulators. Yes. I mean, PS. you play the whole PS1 catalog on a PlayStation 2. Nobody had ever done that before. Yep. But because they were on DVD-ROMs instead of CD-ROMs, that also meant it doubled as a CD player and as a DVD player. Yep. So, in theory, Sony kind of cannibalized their DVD market because people would go out and buy the cheaper PlayStation and have an all-around entertainment system as opposed to buying a Sony brand DVD player. You know? Um, However... The actual consoles themselves had a short shelf life. They did not. They did not hold up well. I had three of them yeah. in like a th- three or four year period. There's a myth going around that after 19 months the laser would burn out. Yeah, and that's been disproven, but it's not that far off the truth. You know, it's it's like th- there was something that caused it to crap out after maybe two two and a half years. But then again, because people were using them as DVD players, because it's CD players and so on and so forth, they weren't as robust as they needed to be. For the services that they offered. Yeah. Um, also, the other thing, too, um, there's a couple of different series of the PS2. You had the, the first generation PS2, and then the second generation, and then you had the Slim. Yep. Second, first and second. Um, the first generation, one of the reasons they went Slim is because um, the first the first generation was designed to lay flat, and it was also designed to lay on its side. It had, like, a thing there yeah. you could... Well... Most of the people that had laser malfunctions and disc tray malfunctions were people that had elevated them to one side. Uh-huh. Because you think about it, when you put it, when you lay yeah. it flat, there's no force. It's all just no, normal downward force that's being spread evenly across the surface area. You put it on the side, suddenly all the force is coming on one angle. Everything's, the, and then the CD is spinning against gravity. That's true. That, so, that could that could explain it. There's a correlation to that. Also, and then you had the issue with the PS2 Slim one and Series One and Two would overheat. Oh, that yeah. was the huge issue with them. My little brother got one for Christmas, and he he f- practically could fry an egg on top of that thing. It was it was crazy. Um, Nintendo carried on. Ironically, when they marketed the NES as the entertainment system, it could only play video games, and they kept that kind of focus. Um, instead of going out for third-party developers because they knew Microsoft and Sony would blow them out the water, they decided to carry on with their own franchises and their own proprietary software. And I think that was a good move because they didn't sell those those rights to those games for Microsoft and Sony. So the only way, if you were a Mario fan, and there are millions of them you out there... You have to go to Nintendo. Exactly. It's kind of, it was smart, I think, at the time. Oh, yeah, you'd be dumb to give away your, your flagship uh, character. Take a note, Sega. Uh, but, yeah. I mean... They, they, they kind of, the GameCube was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. See, I, I, I honestly disagree with that a really? lot. I really, really enjoyed the GameCube. I mean, maybe it's because I played it with a, I played it a lot, but 
I thought it was a fantastic system. I thought it balanced affordability, portability. Um, it had it had a, a great amount of titles. Yeah, I mean you could play anything from Mario, and then it's and, and then even Sega was up in the mix at that point. Um, Resident Evil uh, Two was one of my favorite games. Enter the Matrix was a well done game. You know, I I don't know. I really liked it. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I think I think it was great. My favorite game on there was Paper Mario on a Thousand Year Door. I played that till the disc burned out. I just for, for some reason it just felt like it was lacking something. Yeah, it, no, it um it didn't. It was the oddball of that generation's console yeah. in a way. Like it, once again, Nintendo trying to be Nintendo. And using like the mini, the mini disc and all that, but I don't, I don't know. It was, it wasn't okay. It was a good, stable console that worked well. It, it, they just didn't take any risks. Yes, it, it was, was all, it was all gimmick. Yeah. Instead of functionality. And the functionality was great. Don't get me wrong. Right, but it wasn't like, hey, look, you can play online and you can blah blah blah. No, it's just I, like, up oh, game system popping in. And play. I think, I think that's kind of why it, it's seen as kind of lackluster because it's not it's, it's GameCube's a great system yeah but the reason it's perceived as lackluster I guess is because of all the features that Sony and Microsoft are jamming into the things and Nintendo stayed pure yeah kind of true to its nature kind of stripped down user friendly I mean it like was they've a, always been it was I mean it was a look it was a powerful system you just couldn't get online it had some um peripherals that you could buy to do Game Boy games and stuff like that it just Again, it just felt like something was missing. I really, I really like the titles, though. I got to tell you, oh, yeah. Mario. Uh, was it Mario? Uh, the, the new Mario Kart. I can't remember what it's called. Double the one for GameCube. Double Dash. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, me and uh, me and my uh, old roommates couldn't tell you how many hours we spent playing that. I played three games on the GameCube that were not GameCube GameCube exclusives. Yeah, uh, I think it was Tom Splitters, Harry Potter Quidditch. And I think one of the FIFA games. And I think I think this is why the GameCube was perceived as lacking. It perceived, not 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 saying that it was. Right. But the controls were similar, but it was always easier to play it on any of the other two systems. Uh, Zelda was. Uh, wh- which one was it? Uh, I forget. Well, I can't remember that. It wasn't the, Ocarina of Time, was it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Water Temple. Yeah, so. yeah. Ocarina of Time. Yeah, that was. Yeah, cause I remember using the C the C stick for the hook shot. Yeah. I yeah, mean, they had, I think it had some good games. I think that maybe when you can compare it to, it seems less robust when you look at cross titles. Yeah, but the games that were its own, they, they, I think it did well. The the weird thing about it is, and it probably wasn't, but it always seemed like um, the GameCube games themselves and the Wii games had no discrepancy between the graphical style and the power. It's just when we threw a whole bunch of you know extra things in, like the the motion capture, and the online capabilities, and the channels, and the the balance board, and, and everything like that. I think the GameCube was kind of like what the Dreamcast was supposed to be, in terms of mentality, in the sense of this is what we're planning. Bear with us because we're gonna knock it out of the park like next a, time. A stepping stone, if you will. And they knocked it out the park. And the, the next, Wii. the next offering was the Wii, right? Yeah. That wasn't until what two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. And talk about ahead of its time. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I thought Nintendo was going to um, suffer the fate of Sega and just turn into a developer. Because um, you know, at that time, it's it was pretty much Xbox and play and PlayStation. It's ironic that they both came up with their own motion stuff, and the PlayStation's motion stuff is horrible. It is, and the Connect stuff is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all right. So. 
as of recording right now, we're going to wrap this up because we have been rabbiting for a while with very few mistakes, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> as of recording, as of recording, the video game industry is worth $138 billion a year. That's a huge amount of money. Um, 155 people in the United States play some form of video game, be it on a console, PC, which is the dominant market. I did not realize that. Hmm. And uh, on uh, smartphones. Um, do you agree? And this is something that I wrote down, and I just, I just want to, I want to see if, if, if we're on a similar with with Patton. The games themselves are seen as quote unquote liberal. You know, they're more inclusive. Like, you know, for example, in Skyrim, if you were a female character, you can marry a female character. Uh, freedom of religion, freedom of choice, so on and so forth. But the community at large is full of nothing but misogynists, racists, sexists, and homophobes. That's because people of all walks of life and beliefs play video games. I personally think it's yeah. a. I personally think it's a very, very loud vocal minority. Yeah. That fall into that group. A couple of bad apples. Yeah, and unfortunately, because the typical video gamer is a meek guy, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, you know as well as I do, people listen to this. Nerd folks are shy and in their shell to begin with. The majority of video game folks are nerds. And they don't want to, you know, listen to these idiots. They, they don't want to hear what the idiots are saying, but they don't want to challenge them either because they're f not afraid, but they've, you know, they'd rather slink away and not listen to the drama that's caused by them. Um, Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft are the only three things you can buy in terms of consoles these days. With PC gaming, um, I'm a PC gamer. I, 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 won't, I won't lie. Uh, I spent $800 on a Skyrim machine. Um, <laughs> and a podcast machine. Um... As we mentioned many times, Sega still make games. They don't make consoles anymore. And they become a real, really good developer. I think they've kept to their tradition of making light-hearted, family-style games, so to speak. Sonic the Hedgehog 35. <laughs> With his knees blown out. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is something that I found out. Sports simulators are so accurate that actual scouting of professional sports teams are using the database to check out players. I wouldn't doubt it. In Britain, if you watch Sky Sports News and they'll talk about a player who's been linked to a different club, they'll show stats and they'll say, uh, stats provided by football manager. And uh, to me, that blew my mind. But then when I realized how accurate the, the, the game works with the scouting departments and agents and mix everything, you know, it, it, it's really, really cool. Um, gaming is, being, is starting to be considered a legitimate competitive for lack of a better term, sport. Um, they they have the gaming world championships. They want to get in the Olympics. No, no, I, I don't think so. No, no, no. Uh, have your own have your own separate thing. Definitely. Um, that's kind of I don't know. That's like saying that bowling is making music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it makes a sound when the ball hits the pins. Isn't music organization sound? No, whoa, 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 whoa. Sit down, sit down, sit down. Okay, go pick up the pins you just dropped. Um, <laughs> but one good one good thing that is coming about is that more indie women and LGBT developers are coming through because video game and let's let's face it, the video game development side is a male dominated industry. Well, I mean that was the demographic for the longest yeah. time. I mean I I knew very few girls, women that played consoles when I was a kid. Now it's starting to... Level up. So yeah, yeah, I know. My wife is a hardcore gamer. Mine too. Uh, She's got thousands of hours of Fallout under her belt. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's strange. It's, it's weird that we parallel. You and I are big Skyrim fans. 
and we will play that game to death, whereas our wives are big Fallout fans and are playing the game to death. I, I got it for, um, for Christmas last year, and I still haven't had a chance to play it because my wife's been playing it. Sarah is still playing Fallout 3 mm, because... She just started that one, actually. She can't play games out of order, but she'll play, she's playing Fallout 3 to the nth degree. She wants to have everything on the map discovered, every achievement that she can possibly get discovered, and every rare item discovered. Good luck. Yeah, she's got like, she's got like three hundred hours on this on this one character, uh. and you know, yeah. Um, mobile gaming is becoming more and more advanced with smartphones. So kind of those old handhelds that you used to buy that had one game are now gone. I mean, I've got like eight games on my phone already. Also, uh, Java. Yeah. And app development really had a big step in that touch uh, touchscreen technology. Touchscreen touch technology was like you know the, the possibly the greatest thing to happen to technology. It was the and the missing link between gaming and um, portable devices. Definitely. definitely. Um, and I mentioned look I mentioned the issues in the community. You know, being a minority, and in some people's eyes, it could be the major- majority. But it, I, de- I, it, de- I, it depends on your experience. It depends on your experience, and, and in my experience. But then again, I'm a white dude, so you know, probably my experience is going to be a little bit more easier than you know somebody else, right? But at the same time, I still consider myself a gamer. I just don't buy into the community. I play for the enjoyment of the games rather than the enjoyment of the community. You know, you play for yourself. Exactly, and that's the way it should be. Because a lot of people who go like, "I ain't buying this game because it's only got an eighty-five percent approval rating." That means eighty-five people out of a hundred enjoyed it. Oh no, 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 that's not a good game. Well, don't play it then. Don't fall. Yeah, you cut your own ones off to spite your own face. Right. I, you know, I don't care about that. I mean, th- that's the thing, and that's I think the important thing about video games. If you're listening, um. And have had bad experiences with gaming communities. Ignore the communities. Just enjoy the games themselves. I mean, like I learned. Look, I learned about Skyrim because of the video game community. I wasn't a big gamer at that point, but I knew of it because of the memes that were coming out. Yeah. And that's what started. I used to play Football Manager religiously. You know, I'd pl- I'd play Mario. I'd play whatever. And it's only when I hit in my early thirties, which I'm kind of in my mid thirties now, is when I kind of realized, okay, you know what? I'm a video game guy. Video game is my hobby. is It's my way of relaxing. I don't watch television. I couldn't tell you what TV shows are on right now. I don't think I've watched TV outside of a sports game in about four years. Yep. And, you know. Um, so that's my hobby. That's my way of unwinding. Aside from obviously the podcast and music. And I think a lot of people are afraid to say that they're gamers because of the the, the bad apples in the community. But I, I'm I'm proud to be one. So. Well, not proud, but you know, I'm, gamer, I'm, not lamer. Yes, exactly. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm probably the most hardcore noob out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg, man, it's been awesome to have uh, you kind of backing up my ramblings and providing me with a different perspective. We will hopefully get you back on next season because, you know, sadly, this is the season finale of season three. Well, we got a we got a busy summer coming up, man. We have busy, busy summer. Um, yeah. So it's fantastic to have you on board. Always a pleasure. And now we are going to we're going to run a commercial for a great product with possibly the worst name in the history of products. Hair, the one part of our anatomy that keeps us in touch with animals. And while some people think hair on the human body is gross, our sisters and mothers usually take the brunt of this with outdated concepts in society. However, if you're one of the many ladies who wishes for your legs, underarm, and um, <clears throat> nether regions to be smoother than a marble countertop, we have the product for you. Introducing Neds. Neds? Neds? What the? That's 
right. You can now purchase a product designed to remove all unsightly hair with the name that 12-year-old boys use to describe a part of their body with a bunch of unsightly hair. Originally designed by an Australian mother as a natural gentle hair removal system to help her young daughter, Neds has grown to produce many products for every part of your body, even for the guys. Remember, we are not poking fun at this useful and awesome product or the fact that the company that makes it is a beacon of female entrepreneurship. Just the name, which means testicles, which still makes this announcer laugh. Order today to get netted. Look, I know it's a it's a great product, it's a great company, but I refuse to believe that an Australian did not know that Ned's meant. A sincere thank you to Greg Gregory for taking the time out of his busy, busy day to uh, help me with this episode. I really do appreciate it. And I want to thank Greg and Sarah for uh, being a part of this season, for helping me out, and for giving another voice on my insane ramblings. So thanks, thanks you guys. I really, really appreciate it. I also want to thank you the listeners. I want you guys to, to know from the bottom of my head, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time out of your day to download in this podcast. It has been a labor of love, and oh, yeah, um, we do, look, we do plan on continuing the podcast, don't get me wrong. Uh, there's going to be one or two things that I'm going to retool on it while we've got the break. If you want to know what I'm thinking of, go to Extra Episode 6 that was released last week. Look up on YouTube, uh, look up on our feed. Um, I just, I want to make sure that everybody's having fun and I've noticed some trends and I'm going to go in for it. Uh, We also have some uh, future plans on how you guys can support us and we can support you uh, during the hiatus. We're also going to do episode extra seven and eight. Um, As I alluded to in the podcast, I might see if I can snag Greg for a, a... a chat about Skyrim. Uh, that's our favorite. It's my favorite game. I don't know about his, but probably. But uh, it's it's my favorite game, definitely. And you know, just to just to have a chat about it, you know, and put it out there for everybody to listen to, might be a, a good good thing. So there is no social media question this week because we will not be here next week. As I mentioned, we are done for this season. Now I know I wanted to go longer on this season, but as I mentioned, life has has happened. Um, we can't really avoid that, and unfortunately, it barrels on. The next time you hear my voice will be on Extra Episode 7 and Extra Episode 8. And we will return on a new day on Saturday, September the 1st. And the reason we're moving to Saturday is, number one, why not? Uh, But number two, um, it's just a better time to drop a podcast. I know that on Sunday uh, I drop it late in the United Kingdom. And for the American audience, there's a lot, a lot of folks who go to church or have a morning ritual or whatever. They don't get the time to listen to it. So we're changing the day just to make sure that more people can listen. So that's really, really good. For updates during our hiatus, you can go to our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Look up Because Maybe Pod. Uh, go to our blog page, becausemaybepodcast.wordpress.com. And search Because Maybe Podcast on YouTube where we have some of our sample episodes and so on and so forth. So guys, from the bottom of my heart genuinely thank you all for listening and we will see you in september hope everybody is well have a great time You have to do the. Or it doesn't. It doesn't count if you don't do the hand things. <laughs> that no, never mind. They, uh, they, they, can't, <laughs> they can't see it, but yeah, it happened. It's a it thing. happened.